Welcome to The Sit-Down, a crime history podcast presented by Barstool Sports. Here's your host, Jeff Nadu. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of The Sit-Down, a crime history podcast. I am your host, Jeff Nadu, and as always, we are presented by Barstool Sports. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, Make sure you hit that like button and let me know what you think in the comment section below. We continue to grow every day, and I appreciate all of your participation. Let me know what you think of the interview I'm about to do in the comment section below. We've got another great show. Ladies and gentlemen, you know on this show we jump right in to the topic at hand, and it's back to the world of the Italian-American mafia. We've talked about all sorts of things the last couple of weeks, drug cartel bosses, cannibals, and now we're back to the mafia, our bread and butter. Today, we've got a great interview planned, and it's really going to be an intertwined look into the life of a high-ranking member of the Colombo crime family. Really, when we look back on the Colombo crime family, it has been a very dysfunctional mess. I think we can all agree with that. But there are certain people that shine through, particularly as strong members of the mafia. The Today's subject, really in all uh, talk, uh, was a gangster. No one will disagree with that. But there is some very interesting things that I found out about Wild Bill Cotolo. Today, we're going to talk about his life from the beginning, his sad demise from the horse's mouth himself, his son, Bill Cotolo. Bill Cotolo Jr. is going to join the show today, and he's someone that I wanted to have on, and I think it'll give us a pretty interesting look into the life of Bill. Obviously, uh, Bill Jr. was born and and, and had his own life, uh, and had to really deal with a lot of things that uh, came from the demise of his father. Bill, uh, you know, I've been trying to get you on. How are you? Uh, you're looking dapper as always how are you i'm doing well jeff thank first of all thank you for having me um i love your show um and this is a long time coming yeah and i appreciate you coming on you know, anytime we can get somebody on of of your stature i appreciate it. You, you've been you've been kind of in the news you know for people that you know watch you know mob content you know italian content american content we, we've seen you doing sparse interviews from time to time but you're largely someone that has been pretty quiet. You know, we saw you, though, uh, on MTV at one point. Your, your family did a show, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, later. But you know, I really wanted to kind of get into to your father. You know, we on this channel, I, I've done a lot of content on sons that follow their father into the life. And, um, you know, generally it, it's pretty widely known that there's a lot of people that do that. You know, whether it's the Gotti family, the Persicos. Um, you know, the Franzeses, the, the Catolos, really wherever you go. Um, you, though, are not a made member of the mafia. Um, you definitely moved around in that world. Um, I, I guess before we jump in, you know, g- give me a couple words to describe your dad, because obviously you look at your father differently than everybody else does. Um, you know, who was your father? Okay. One thing that I always try to say to people Um, when they ask me a lot of questions uh, in regards to my dad, um, is that most people that follow this genre, um, they know my dad is Wild Bill. Um, Yes, he was Wild Bill to me as well, but he was my dad first. And a lot of people, I don't know if they choose not to see that or however they want to view it, but he was my dad first. Wild Bill was a very serious dude in that life, okay? He was very knowledgeable. Um, He did have a heart, 
Um, but listen, I, I, I can't, I can't dispute the fact and I cannot be hypocritical. Uh, and in my past, I, I was, I was hypocritical, um, that my dad was a bad man in that life. You know, you didn't want to be on, on, on his bad side. Um, but for the most part, you know, for, for someone like myself and, uh, a lot of his close knit guys, uh, and it was a small circle, you know, he had a ton of guys, don't get me wrong, but he had a small circle that he trusted. Um, and, uh, one thing about my dad, um, he didn't mince words. Okay. Uh, he meant what he said and he said what he meant, you know, um, if you got orders from him, they were expected to be carried out. Um, I found myself in those situations a couple of times. Um, and, uh, sometimes in that life, things don't always work out according to plan. Um, but nonetheless, um, he was, he was good for that family. He was good for the Colombo family. I think, um, and that's something I, I brought up at the beginning, you know, that, that is a, a dysfunctional group, right? You know, and when I yes. look back on really from, you know, the Profaci days on, there is not a lot of, you know, stone cold, like very solid dudes. You know, there was a lot of dysfunction and there was a lot of, you know, the Perscos were, were, a, were a group of, of, of sociopaths. They, they constantly wanted their own uh, family just in their hands. And they, they really didn't have much in the way of supportive people around him. And that's one thing I found out about Bill Cotolo senior. Uh, he, he definitely was pragmatic. He, he was someone that could deal with multiple people and uh, you know, he was feared, but he was also, you know, I read that, that he, he gave the charity, you know, he was very religious at, at one point. Um, you know, so I, I kind of want to jump right in and kind of get into his life. Your father was born in 1949. He's actually from, from right outside of Naples, right? You're, you're yes. your family's actually pretty well known uh, from what, from what I, I learned from you. And, you know, I, I always wondered, you know, you, you mentioned to me that your father was actually related to Rafael Cutolo, who, if you know anything about Italian organized crime in, in Naples, as far as the Camorra, that's a huge name. I mean, that, that's, that's one of the most well-known names in Italian mafia history. Um, what do you know about that? Do you know anything about that connection? It's, it's funny how I found out, um, you know, my dad had mentioned to me in passing that his father did not like the life at all, Carmine. Um, he was the gentleman, the, my grandfather. He owned uh, the Burger Prince uh, off of 8th Avenue um, in the Fort Hamilton section of Brooklyn. Um, and he wanted my father to overtake the business when he was going to retire. Um, my dad worked for him full time. Um, but my dad did not see a future in what he called verbatim, uh, flipping burgers. Um, so, um, you know, thinking back to, um, how he was in his younger stages, um, he was crazy, you know, I mean, hence the name Wild Bill, uh, that's how he got it. Um, but when the part that came up about us being related to Raphael, um, we were in a place uh, called Sabaros. Um, for people from Brooklyn, I'm sure they know us, uh, there's many of them. But this particular Sabaros was uh, kind of like, um, they sold all the fresh meats, the sausages, you know, uh, you know, Jeff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so one day we just happened to stop in there. Um, we were heading up to our club and, uh, we stopped in there. My father knew the old lady that uh, owned the place. Um, and, uh, I went to go grab a bottle of sparkling water just out of, out of the fridge. And, um, when I took the bottle out, you know, when I looked at the bottle cap, it had the name Catolo on it you know, Sabaro with their logo, but then it said Totolo on the top. And uh, when we had gotten outside, I had just said to my father, I says, how is our name, you know, on the bottle? I thought maybe my dad just had a piece of the place. And he said, no, 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 that's, uh, that's your cousin. And I didn't know nothing about this man at all. Um, that That's our cousin, Raphael. Uh, he's on the other side. He's doing... Uh, consecutive life sentences, um, and I guess it was his job to make bottle caps. And I guess in those times, uh, over 20 years ago, um, they would stamp the guy who made the cap, they would put their name on the cap. Wow. So, and that's how it came across to me. Um, But, you know, my grandfather, um, to lead you just a little bit, uh, my grandfather d- despised the life, and I never understood why, you know. And then once I was told about that, then it all made sense to me. Um, he knew what his cousin was about, my grandfather, and he didn't want to see his son, you know, uh, suffer the same demise. Yeah, you know, we, we see that all the time, you know, really in any ethnic community in America, whether it's the black community, the Spanish community, the the, the Asian community, the Italian community, in, in areas where, um, you know, you have criminals on a corner that are making more money than the typical blue collar people. Um, you could have the greatest father on earth. You know, occasionally some kids just want to move towards money. And it was probably evident that your dad, you know, he's probably a hardworking guy, just didn't really want to, you know, make you know, blue collar salary doing very little and, and he wanted to go and, and, and make the big money, right? Correct. Correct. Let me ask you. So uh, your father attended New Utrecht High School, which is in Brooklyn. You know, there's a younger photo of him. I actually yes. read that your father met your mother in high school. Is that true? That is true. So high school true. sweethearts. Pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll talk. Of, uh, we'll talk about your mother. Yeah. She's a pretty interesting woman in her own right. Um, you know, very loyal to your dad. She seems like a very old school. You know, you, you meet in the '60s. Um, you know, she was your typical, you know, stand by your man kind of kind of girl. You know, they don't make women like that anymore, Bill. You know, I'm sure no, that you know. No. But uh, tell me a little about your mom. What kind of woman was she? Uh, my mom. Uh, so they were together from the age of 15. Um, from that stage on they were together forever um up until his passing um my mother was a very tough woman you know there was very few things that feared her or scared her i should say um she was always afraid that my dad was going to get killed i mean that's a normal feeling from a wife um especially in that life um but my mom's family uh, her father was Uh, I believe he was Sicilian and Calabrese. And um, my mother's life growing up, she used to get beat a lot, you know, from her father. And when I say beatings, I mean beaten with like a rubber hose, you know. Um, And uh, so one day, uh, a 
quick story. My mother had called my father up. I believe my mother was 15 or 16 at the time, 16. And um, my mother uh, was waiting for my dad. Um, she let him know she was very upset about something. She said that she was at the house with her parents. Um, and when my dad had gotten there, um, my mother was hysterical crying um, and just finished getting a bad beating from her father. Um, and it was in regards to that um, my mom's dad did not like my dad uh, because of his affiliation in organized crime. So uh, my dad did not see eye to eye with her dad. And um, on this particular occasion, um, my mother's father uh, went and grabbed the shotgun out of the closet. Um, he went to, he pointed it at my father. Uh, my father was able to take the, the rifle out of his hand. Uh, I think he butted him, you know, with the shotgun. Um, I didn't beat him up or anything like that. Uh, he actually handed the, the, the shotgun back to him and said, don't ever do something like that again. And you cannot put your hands on Peggy anymore. Okay. Peggy is my girl. Uh, hopefully she's going to be my wife. Um, and this, you know, cannot happen. Um, so there was a strain on the relationship for many, many, many years after they had gotten married. Um, my wife's parents, my wife's parents, my mom's parents um, did not really speak to, you know, my mother or father. Uh, wasn't until many, many, many years later when my, uh, my mom's mom had gotten sick with cancer um, was when they were able to try to put some things to rest from the past. Um, and they did, you know, they had gotten closer, um, which was beautiful for both my parents, especially for my mom, she needed it. Um, but yeah, so, uh, they were together, they were high school sweethearts and, um, you know, from some stories that I heard about my dad, you know, in Utrecht high school, now just so you know, Jeff. Um, I'm new to YouTube, okay, and um, I am in the in the process uh, with the 11th Avenue podcast, um, doing my research um, to try to learn more about my dad's childhood because I don't know too much, and you know, like everybody else out there, I, like I am, like dying to know more. Right. So um, I have some cousins uh, on my on my father's mother's side um, that I'm in the process of speaking with. And um, they have some stuff to share with me. And, uh, you know, I'm going to put some of that stuff out there. I, I don't like to put out all the negative stuff. I mean, you, you can't get away from it, Jeff. You know that. You can't run from it. You can't hide it. And you certainly can't lie about it. And, so, and that's, that's the thing, Bill. Like, that, that's why, like, here, like, I don't really – humanize or dehumanize any of these people I, I know who they are i know where they come from and i know the kind of the the fact that it was a different world back then you know you you grew up and you, you it, it's really you know like present day you know you, you you see certain neighborhoods in america that are that are struggling to keep murders down and things like that the reason that they're like that is because you grew up a certain way there's only really one way you're ever going to be you know you either in an italian neighborhood become a gangster or or you go and get a blue collar job and become maybe a cop or a fireman um, in those days, being a gangster wasn't that 
crazy, especially when you lived in the area that your dad was in. I mean, he's in the, yeah. the, the belly of the beast. You know, there, there's crime families yeah. everywhere. They're vying for territory. I know for me, like if I looked at, if I lived in Brooklyn in that time, I mean, it's very likely that most of us would become very similar to what your dad became. Now, I think the one thing that kind of stood out about your dad and that I've noticed is, and even in his early life, you know, I'm talking 30s, 40s, uh, as far as age, very capable individual, someone that could earn, you know, which is important in that world. But he also had that sadistic side where he was willing to go out and, and do things uh, to people. And he becomes very capable, right? And, and during those times, you have a guy like Vic Arena who is coming up his own way in the world. And he looks down you know, through some of his people and says, okay, what do we have here? You know, we have these guys that are they're doing things. We have these certain guys that are doing more than just certain things. And I think that was your dad. Um, you know, and, and he had a quick kind of foray into the world. I mean, from what I understand, he was connected with a guy, Pasquale Amato. Do you know that name? Paddy Amato. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Yes. Who was close with Vic Arena, and that that really connected them, your father and Arena for years. You know, down the road, he would obviously side yes. with him in the in the war, um, and eventually, when Amato gets jammed up in '91, your father takes over that crew and yeah. establishes a pretty healthy group. I mean, you have Joe Colombo Jr., you have Chicky DiMartino, you have Frankie Notch, you have all these different guys. Um, yeah. He's a high riser, right? Yes, yes. He also. He's also in unions. He's getting involved with the Teamsters. He's a guy that can flow money up. And remember, in those times, you, know, you had some big people in the Colombo crime family. You had the Joe Scopos and the Concrete Club. You had Michael Francis, who was involved with the gas tax stuff. You have people like Bill Cotolo. You know, these are the guys, you know, when we look back at the mafia, and when I really get into the mafia, it's these guys that keep the wheels turning of these families. They're not the high-end bosses. They're the guys really turning the wheels on these families. And I want to ask you about those times, you know, the 80s, you know, kind of your, you know, coming up. You know, what year were you born, by the way, Bill? I was born in 1970. So your dad uh, was 21. 21 years old. What was your childhood like? My childhood, you know, for the most part, it was, it was fun. You know, uh, I did have a long period of innocence. When I say innocence, meaning um, I love playing sports. Um, I wasn't really getting into trouble uh, in school, you know, um, you know, maybe girl stuff or um, being a class clown, you know, on occasions. Um, but, you know, for the most part, me growing up, I, I, I do when I when I think back when I reflect back, um, you know, Jeff. I used to get beat a lot um, as a kid. You know, um, when you when you say beat, like uh, like 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 I, I remember when I was a kid. I mean, I got I got hit a few times. You know, I remember those. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. When you say hit, like why? What, what did you do? What what would happen? Um. Sometimes it can be something as silly as uh, me doodling on my school book. Um, one, for one instance, I, I mentioned it on a different podcast, but there was one instance that does stand out in my mind amongst a ton of others. But this particular one really stood out because, um, long story short, uh, I was fighting 
my sister. Uh, my mother would always take my sister's side. Okay, that's natural. So um, my mother, I just said something along the lines, like, um, forgive me for cursing here, everyone. Uh, no, fuck boy. you, Billy boy. Yeah, fuck you, Billy boy. Um, drop dead. And those were her, her words verbatim. And um, I had turned around and said to my mom, uh, no, you dropped dead. And um, my dad came home that night. Um, I was laying in my bed and uh, he walked in. And, um, you know, I can tell that if he came in my room, usually to, um, if it wasn't just to say hello or good night, um, if the light, if he flipped the light on, then I knew that there was an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had just said to me, uh, how was your day? So on and so forth. Actually, he told me to sit at, at the edge of the bed first. So I did. Uh, and then he had asked me how my day was. And, and, uh, you know, I was just trying to, um, think of everything other than, you know, what I had said to my mother, uh, that day. And, uh, so finally he just turned around and he says, uh, did you say something to your mother? And, uh, uh yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did. And, uh, like, I, I didn't start by saying, oh, you know, uh, so-and-so started with me, um, so I was just defending myself or whatever. Um, so he said, did you, uh, you mother to drop that? Yes, yes, I, I did, I did. And I'm very high for that, but yes, I did. And uh, so, you know, my dad was just, at that point, you know, um, his sleeves were already being you know, rolled up his dress shirt. And um, as no sooner as I had said, yes, I did say it, um, bang, I got cracked, uh, knocked clear off the bed. And, uh, you know, you're told to get up. And when I say a cracked brother, I'm not just talking about a smack that you would, you know, give your kid, you know, maybe a smack in the face or a doink in the back of the head. I he mean, hit you hard. My, yeah, my, my dad would hit like with a closed fist. How old were you at the time? Uh, at this stage, probably 12. Now, how often was old. this happening? Was this happening a lot or? Yeah. Um, yeah. My dad used to also have this thing where um, he would say to me, um, would you rather the punishment or would you rather go downstairs in the workroom? That's what he called it, the workroom. Would you rather go down to the workroom and, um, you know, take the beating and you don't have to worry about the punishment? And, you know, I had gotten to the point where I was like, you know, I didn't want to fucking be punished and locked in the house. I was like, give me the beating, you know, because I had, I had gotten beatings, you know, so many times that I, I, uh, I wasn't afraid of the beating. You know, Jeff, as a kid, you know, disappointing your parent, I think, hurts more than any beating that you could ever get. Uh, at least it was for me. Um, so, yeah, he would uh, offer that up and uh, we would go down into the workroom and um, he would have either like um, a cut off uh, rubber, rubber hose. Uh, he also had like a very thick belt. Uh, it kind of mimicked like a weight lifting belt. Um, and then also, 
there was something else that he would pick up. It was like a paddle, like a big paddle. Um, now the workroom where he used to take me down was maybe, I don't know, five, six feet by five, six feet. So there was no room to go in there, you know? Um, and when he would walk you in there, the door would get closed behind you and it would be locked. What, let me, let being, me, let me yes. interrupt. Why did he do this sort of thing to you? Like what, what, what was the, what was the reasoning? But was it just to toughen you up? Was it to punish you? Uh, did you look at it as I hate my father? Uh, Cause this sounds like, you know, this doesn't sound like just a, Hey, stop be stop doing that. You know, don't do that again. This sounds like a very sadistic individual that wants to, you know, make his son pay. Uh, regularly yeah you know that that's that's a question that i've gone to therapy jeff um and i'm not ashamed to say it um but that is one question that um i still as we're talking right now um have a hard time figuring out because you know people people will make comments and say well you know Billy Jr. was a nobody. He didn't do anything in that life. Uh, there was no plans for him with his father. Um, now, when I think about the beatings, I look at it two ways. Um, were you beating me because you wanted to give me a beating to try to scare me away, maybe in the future, to say like, hey, you know, fighting like this and getting beatings like this, it's not for me. Or where you're looking at it, you know, in the back of your mind saying, I got to toughen him up. Right. And if he could take a beating from me, he could yeah. take a beating from anybody. Um, so and that's a question that I wrestled with for so long because I obviously I can't find out now, but it wasn't a question that I ever asked um, my dad. But by this but, point, you know, this is the early 80s. Do, do you know what your father does for a living? Do you know who he is? Do you know, you know, I'm always curious about that in, in, in a kid's life. You know, we've, we've seen it on like The Sopranos, right? A television show where the kid AJ learns who his father is around the same time as, as, as you know, you're talking about here. Yeah. What made you learn that? I'm sure he didn't come out and say, hey, you know, I, I, I killed this guy today or I, I did this beating today. When did you learn that? And did that, was the goal for you to always go into that life as well? You know, did you ever have any dreams of doing anything else? Was that the only way? Um, I wanted to, to go into sports. Um, my like dad an athlete or? Yeah, as an athlete. Um, uh, I, I wasn't that good. Right. Um, but my dad wasn't a sports guy. And he just flat out told me that, you know, it's a million to one shot uh, of you making it to any of the major leagues. Um, so he's like, for you, you know, you should stay in school. Um, I don't, I don't think that, and this is just me being honest. Um, I don't think that um, the plans for me were to be involved in that life. At least that's what I believe today. Um, I don't think it was t until um, maybe the age of 15, 16, um, where the beat stopped. And um, my dad actually had threatened my mother at one point saying, 
don't put your hands on my son again. Okay. So the beatings kind of stopped, but you know, at the age of 13, 14, you know, you know, you see all like the, the Godfather stuff that your dad, uh, whether it was pictures, posters, um, my dad always rooting for the bad guy in the movies. Um, and then, you know, people coming by the house, you know, yeah, who's coming see- by during those times. Um, it's funny. Um, I mentioned something about walking into Roy DeMeo's, uh, Gemini lounge. Um, and it was only one time, uh, I was very young. Uh, I stopped into that lounge just for a glass of water. Um, and the two guys that came out, um, at first looked very familiar to me. Um, and, and to be honest with you, um, you know, as a kid, you know, sometimes you look at people and, um, you can judge them just by how they look. And these two gentlemen, um, they were in good shape and they were good looking guys. And, um, I do remember them coming by the house. Um, I'm talking about the, uh, the testers and, um, they had kissed my dad on the cheek. Um, I was just happened to come out of the front and my dad was standing out front and talking to them. Um, and I just happened to see that. And, you know, I was a little perplexed, you know, I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, but as time went on, um, I did have friends that, um, like I, I mentioned in the past, uh, Mark Farone, who was, uh, gentleman Rudy Farone's uh, son. Um, so we did have like these little conversations. Um, you know, we met like in the fourth, fifth grade, and then we went to like middle school together. So, you know, um, there was a comment that was passed to me one day from Mark. Um, and the comment was, this is verbatim, um, Billy, uh, we will never have to work a day in our life. Hmm. And, and I remember saying to him saying, what are you talking about? You know, uh, well, you know, without dads, um, you know, we're just going to go into that life with them. And I'm like that life. And I'm like, what, you know, what kind of life are we talking about? And he's like, you, you know, the mob life. And so from that time on, um, I started paying more and more attention, Jeff, to everything that my dad did, um, right. how he walked, uh, how he spoke, um, just how he carried himself. And, um, yeah, yeah. What a good looking dude, man. Well, yeah. And, 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 you know, that's one thing what you're talking about here, you know, I'm sure you're seeing, you know, the way he dresses, the look, you know, the deference he's given when he goes places, you know, these are people that this is not a a random associate in the mafia. This is a, a, by this point, you know, he's becoming a a very high ranking member of of an organization he's made by this point. Um, You know, and by the early nineties, this is a family that is in complete disarray. I mean, they go outside, they've got to worry about shooting one another. Um, So you kind of realize, you know, through a friend that, Hey, maybe my dad's not like the mailman's 
uh, yeah, I appreciate the mailman or the, the 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 bread guy at the corner or whatever. Um, so your dad was you know hanging out Eleventh Avenue had a social club you know which you now have a pocket called the Eleventh Avenue uh, pockets, which we'll talk about, which is really cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> but he's coming up. He's extortion, loan sharking, unions, everything, <clears throat> everything and everything that the, a mob guy does. Let me ask you one other thing about your childhood. Yes. Were you given what you wanted? Did you live well? You know, you obviously didn't live like a, you know, you know, you weren't poor or anything, but, but was your dad, you know, was he, was he giving you things? Was he buying you things? Was it clear that you had some money? Maybe your father was well off in a way. Um, I want to say it was probably around, and this is, you know, I can gauge it because I, I do have a lot of home videos um, certain Christmases. And I believe that I noticed from watching the videos back that I want to say it was around 84, 85, 86 is when our Christmases, you know, mine and my sister's, uh, changed like, Mm -hmm. um, the gifts under the tree, um, were not just, you know, four or five, they were like 20, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, but my dad, um, he, he did spoil us. Um, when he had money, um, when he started really making money, um, he wasn't too shy or, um, uh, cheap, you know, uh, whatever it was that we wanted, my dad, would get for us, especially around the holidays. Um, so, but early on, brother, from, I want to say up until we moved to 48th Street, I believe it was 1975, 
Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think one of, one of the things I'm real interested about is, is your early 20s because that's, you know, around that time in the early 90s, I, I want to kind of make and, and paint the picture. that Brooklyn was a war zone, okay, at that time. The Arena faction, who your dad was loyal to, Vic Arena, uh, and the Persco faction were, were back and forth. Now, I want to make this clear. What I'm about to say is what the federal government alleges. I'm not saying this is true. It's okay. According okay. to the government – while Bill and his crew were allegedly responsible for up to three murders during the Colombo War. Now, one of them had to do with a guy, Hank the Bank Schmura, in a Dunkin' Donut parking lot, uh, Black Sam Nastasi, who was also a Persco loyalist. And at one point, your father and Greg Scarpa, who you know, we all have heard of, the Grim Reaper, he was on the Persco side. They hated each other. Okay, And at one point, even in November of 1991, Scarpa allegedly had uh, a hit out on your father. I'm curious because at that age, you're what, 21, 22. What is that like for you? I mean, do you know the stuff that's going on in the streets? You know, every young 20-year-old, we, you know, obviously you're you're an adult at that point. You know, you know what's going on. Um, wh- what was it like your dad coming home those days? You know, do you remember those days? What were they like? Uh, we're speaking about in the beginning of the war? Yeah, even during it, you know, the 92, 93. Um, now, I was – Fresh out of college, um, I had told my father that I just I, I uh, didn't have the head for books anymore. I wasn't. I went to a two-year college, graduated Kingsborough mm-hmm. um, in business management, and um, uh, at graduation, uh, I just had went over to give him a hug and and uh, a kiss, and uh, he was very proud that day. Um, and I literally had said to him, uh, the question was asked of me. So, you know, where are you going from here? You know, what school? And, uh, my answer to him was verbatim. I'm like, look, pop, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the books. You know, I, uh, I want to, I want to earn. Um, he said, all right, so you want to get a job? And I'm <laughs> like, well, you know, I, I, uh, I want to be with you. I want to be your guy was my exact words to him. And um, I I, uh, I broke his heart that day, Jeff. I, I truly did. Because, you think you did, really? Yeah. Um, look, so he, in a way, I, really did want something more for you. You know, he, yes. he, he maybe, you know, I'm not saying those beatings were warranted because obviously they weren't. But, you know, exactly. maybe in a way he, he wanted to, to, to turn you off from that. You know, he didn't want you to be like that. Uh, you know, I, I I believe that because you know what, Jeff? Look, I I don't care what anybody gets on YouTube or they write books or, and I'm not, you know, naming anybody, but you know, anybody that turns around and says that, yeah, you know, my dad wanted me in that life. Those those uh, instances are very few and far between because. You know, if you're a dad and you love your son, you you don't want them in that life. I mean, I, I just that's that's me knowing my dad. Um, but what happened was um, he allowed me to um, come around to the club. He brought me up there. Um, he just made me promise him and give him my word that I would listen to everything that he said. Um, he did tell me that the life is very treacherous um, and that uh, 
no matter what I saw him do or say, it didn't matter. I still had to listen to what he was telling me, not what I wanted to do or what I thought was right, you know, in that life. Um, so now uh, my foot hits the street in the summer of 90. Um, and the war, I believe, uh, I, the war started, I believe, in November of 91. I believe is when it started. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still wet behind the ears, brother, for the most part, you know? Um, so when most of the guys that were up at the club, I already knew because, you know, since I was young, um, like on the weekends, on a Saturday, when my dad used to go up to the club, um, he would bring me up there. You what know? kind of stuff were you doing there? Um, when I was young? Yeah, like what were they doing? Just hanging out? What did they do? Um, yeah, yeah, no, just hanging out. Who was, uh, who had to talk to my father? Um, you know, everybody would talk their schemes, you know, have to run it up the ladder, uh, you know, to my dad. Um, but again, you know, at a young age, you know, you're 10, 9, 10, 11 years old, and, um, you know, you're seeing grown men, you know, kiss your dad. And, you know, in, in those days, you know, you see one man kiss another man, the first thing you think is, okay, they're gay, um, which is, is fine, you know. So that was like the first thing that was a little perplexing to me. Um, but so I grew up around a lot of these guys. Um, like, uh, I hate saying people's names, but I'm going to say it because, Jeff, when, when I do speak, uh, whether it be on, on my podcast or, or doing, doing an interview, um, is that I, I try to explain things, um, how I saw the life yeah, over sure. 20 years ago and how my uh, brotherhood and relationships with these men, um, I loved them. Like they were big brothers to me. You didn't look and at them as, you know, uh, you know, the, the people that we know them as you, you didn't look at, you know, and no. I've heard, um, I've heard John Jr. Talk about this. He's talked about yeah. how he didn't know them as what we knew. He didn't know the, you know, the Joe Watts as who we knew him as he didn't. And I don't right. know if he knew Joe Watts, but you know what I'm saying? Like you didn't, you didn't see them as the killers that we saw them as you, you mentioned, you wow. saw the testers and you thought they were good looking guys who, you know, were just around yeah. in that life, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's another thing that a lot of people, um, don't understand. Like when I say that, um, you know, I still, I still have love for, let's say a chicky, um, right. or spats or Dom or, um, Frankie and Joey, uh, like all those guys, especially the guys that were in our oh, inner yeah. circle. Yeah. Um, you know, I love them. So uh, I think I can still say with in all honesty to you, um, first of all, that life's a business. Okay. We, we, we both can agree on that. Sure. Um, so for me to still be upset with guys that may have switched sides or who were trying to kill us, uh, you know, over 20 years ago, um, I don't still carry that same animosity that I did over 20 years ago. 
Um, but nonetheless, I, I love them. And if I know this would never happen, but if they wanted to get on the phone with me tomorrow and say, hey, I miss you, or hey, let's talk about A, B, C, and D and reminisce a little bit, um, I, I would. Um, so the way the public sees a lot of these guys because of what they read and what they learn, um, you know, it's people say, well, how can, for instance, um, how can you be friendly with Larry Mazza? Well, why shouldn't I be? You know, we, right. we both had, we both had orders, you know, it was a job and, uh, here we are, we came out the other side over 20 years later. So why shouldn't I be? What's so, what's so weird about that is just because like, even into the two thousands, like your dad, you know, even before the two thousands and the nineties, after the war ended, they didn't continue to hate each other. They eventually just no. had like a peace treaty and everybody moved on. And, you know, strange. I think that's so, strange. Yeah. Yeah, like it just kind of was was normal. Like you move on, and you know, you you I'm sure you knew people on that side. You know, you you grew up in Brooklyn. Like yeah, that's, I did. Yeah, I did. I yeah, did. so it's it's it, it all moves on eventually. But it's a wild time in Brooklyn, the '90s. The bullets are flying, bodies are dropping on both sides. Um, you know, and and the chief people on both sides, as far as hitters are concerned, are Gregory Scarpa and your father's I crew. Think. Whether we sugarcoated or not chicky d martino was a murderer um frank i Nietzsche was a murderer um these are guys that were tasked to carry out hits for the family it's pretty simple now you had a comment at one point a quote about your father quote he seemed invincible do you do you, do you agree do you believe that because it seemed like he was i mean you know he had all these wild times you know really in a matter of a year or two um he was out there putting work in right um yes. did he really seem yes. invincible um, you know, there was a reference, um, that they used to, uh, refer to my dad as, um, what was the name of that mad monk, um, that they tried to kill, um, the monk. He was a monk, a literal monk. I'm not um, sure. I can't think of his name, but they tried to kill him like six or seven times and he would never die. He was shot. They stabbed him. They tried to poison him. Uh, he, no, he's almost uh, a immortal. A week, we could say. And uh, yeah, and that's how I felt because um, I did know that Greg was a serious cat in the absolutely. street. Um, so I just kept thinking to myself that, hey, you guys keep trying to get to him and get to him, but you guys can't. Um, so, and then once he beats his case, yeah, man. You I really thought it. I truly thought that this man was invincible. Okay. And I'm going to get into the case, but, but I have to ask you, cause, cause it's kind of an interesting yes. conversation. It's fascinating. Cause you know, a lot of us don't, you know, we know about the Gaudis and stuff, but some of this stuff is, is kind of, uh, you know, kind of unearthed to a lot of people. When mm -hmm. you were younger, you know, was there one of those guys that when you saw him on the street, you were just kind of freaked out by, was there anyone you ever met in that world that, creeped you out scared you like was greg scarpa that guy because obviously if you've seen him like he has that very that look right that just that you know i've, I've heard people mention that you know neil delacroach had it or or, or carmen galanti had it that gleam that uh, you know he just looked like a, my a, dad like, had it it's he funny did. you said that my dad he had that look man especially for, during the war brother i saw a side of my father 
that I, even through the years of me getting beaten, I never saw. Wow. Um, and it was a dead, a dead, dead eye look that um, it would send chills up my spine. But to try to think of anyone that I've come across in the street. Um, now, fear, no. But have a, a, a distaste for. Um, Greg was one of them. Um, Carmine Sessa was another. Um, but it was only because of the size. Stories, stories that I have heard, you know, in the past, you know, especially from my dad, um, you know, killing a woman. Right. You know, that uh, Mrs. Barry, um, sure. which comes up a lot. Um, that's, that's the type of creepy feeling that you get sometimes when you're around some guys. Yeah. But, uh, I think I know what not, you're talking about. These, um, yeah, but never fear so. of, uh, of them being too crazy. Um, especially for me, I, uh, I always looked at, I looked at guys this way. Um, you know, I was in good shape. I was able to handle myself. Um, I always felt like there's nobody out there that can beat me up. That's how I felt, especially when you have someone like your dad as your your backing. Um, you feel even more um, bigger than what you were, to be honest. Sure, sure. Yeah, I guess I kind of understand what you're saying with kind of that. You know, the, the, the they have the ability to kill a woman. You know, they deprave people. Like there weren't that many in the mob. Like a lot of them were just doing a job. Their job is to kill people, and that's what they did. But then you have those those folks that you know killed women. They killed innocent people. You know, the, the Cassos, mm -hmm. the Scarpas, the the real depraved yeah. people. Yeah. Um. So ultimately, the war would end by '94. Uh, Vicar Rain is arrested. Scopo's killed. He's the final uh, a person killed in, in the war, and it ends. And, you know, the, the, the feds would kind of pull out across the, the curtain and, and see what they had left, you know, the who was responsible for what. By kind of that time, your father and his crew are indicted, right? Uh, a lot of the yes. evidence actually, from what I know, came from Greg Scarpa himself. Uh, there was a lot of evidence that he was given. He was feeding them information really from – you know, as we know, the 60s, but a lot of info from the late 80s on. And, you know, he would mention at one point that um, he heard your father, um, you know, talking about loan shark debtors, murder conspiracies, like he, he was feeding them a lot of this information. Um, yeah. Do you remember the day your father got pinched? And, and what, what did that mean to you? What did that do to you? Um, do I recall the exact day he got arrested? I'm going to honestly tell you no. Um, I really don't recall that day. Um, I'm did you sorry, feel like the man of the house, though? Yes, I did. And that's, again, that's me just being perfectly honest with you. Um, but that, that was a pressure that I feel that I put on myself. I don't feel that it was... Uh, um, the only thing I was told is to make sure that I'm there for my mother. Um I have a stepsister uh, to be there for her, um, to be there for her mom as well. Um, so I don't really recall the day he got arrested because 
from the day that he had gotten arrested, um, I knew that my life was never going to be the same. Sure. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was a fast forward in that life that I can't say I wasn't ready for it. Um, because we already went through the war. Um, but seeing my father facing these charges, knowing that, um, he could definitely go away for life. Um, there was a lot of added pressure uh, on me. I, I at least I, I maybe I put pressure more pressure on myself, I should say. Um, but yeah, I uh, it did feel good uh, in a way um, to be present, uh, especially for my mom uh, during her difficult times dealing with this stuff. Um, then she was dealing with some personal issues with my dad as well at the time. Um, so it did feel good. Uh, it was, it felt good to be around for my sisters. Um, so, you know, as uh, a trying time as it was, um, I just knew that, um, I, I just kept telling my dad, um, like he would call the hotel Gregory, uh, let's say on a Friday night, he knew what time I would be there, uh, so on and so forth. And um, he would just uh, tell me, hey, you know, you're doing a great job out there. Uh, behave yourself, you know, um, be careful. And uh, he would just reiterate to me that, um, you know, just continue to uh, be there for your mom. You know, that was that was the most important thing. for. Well, when we would we would find out that your father and the other members of the Colombo crime Fed that were in prison at the time at MDC had quite the time in there. They housed them all together, which is a wild decision by the Bureau of Prisons and the warden. Um, there was some interesting stories coming out of MDC that they had their own section. They had basically taken it over. Um, you know, your dad was a real leader. I think that's one thing that we can sufficiently take from all of this. People listen to what he said. And again, he was a very powerful person from a word standpoint. People listened when he spoke. And I always found that to be very interesting. He was the one that people went to for guidance. Um, you know, and then on the, on the street, he had to make sure that his family was uh, put together. I want to ask you something that I, that I, that I thought I heard and I, I actually didn't know. You mentioned a stepsister. Um, and, and forgive me, Bill, I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, disrespectful in any way. No, no. Was that, a, was that a girlfriend that your father had? Um, what, um, what, what went on there that you know of? Yes, it was his girlfriend, but they were together for a very, very, very long time. Um, and Now, your uh, mother, what, what, she obviously, you know, old school woman, uh, she just dealt with it? Um, without going in too yeah. deep into okay. it. Um, when my dad was in prison, um, what happened was, you know, after a while, after you get a certain amount of letters and cards and stuff from people, uh, eventually you send that stuff home for keepsakes. So my dad was doing that, sending home cards and letters back to my mom, and then he was sending cards and letters back to, uh, forgive me just saying girlfriend. It's That's only fine. I, I don't bring want to, uh, yeah, I don't want to put... Uh, her name out there. No problem. Um, but anyway, um, so what the prison did purposely oh, was, man. yep, they Sent switched them. it. Yep, they switched it. And uh, my mother got all the letters and pictures. Wow. And I was, in, I was included in some of these pictures oh, that my man. mother saw with, you know, my dad's girlfriend. And, she and was my not sister. with you either, I would think. 
Yeah, that that uh, it broke her heart. It, it literally broke her heart. But she understood. And with me, um, my mom used to call me Billy Boy. Um, she's like, Billy Boy, I know that you were doing what you were told to do. Um, sure. So it's not your fault. Um, and then, you know, his girlfriend, uh, my sister's mom, um, she was very broken as well, you know, because n- no, no wife or girlfriend wants to, you know, see that stuff, you know? Um, so in, in, in the prison, it was, it was kind of, forgive me here. It was fucked up what they did. Um, like you're fucking with, with families, like there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but in regards to when they were in prison, uh, in the, uh, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn house, um, yeah, they did, um, they did run the prison. Um, I mean, it, it's, I'm not laughing because it, it was right. What well, is fair. It is actually fairly funny, honestly, that, that, uh, you know, yeah. it, it almost was like they, make it look like in the films where you know, the gangsters have their own wings and they're told, yeah. they tell people what to do. It's kind of funny in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's also a good way to start a whole racial war too. Sure. Um, you yeah. know, but uh, it, it didn't happen. And uh, yeah, the, the, the news ran with it. And um, I guess it's, we could laugh about it now. Um, but I, I don't think that that would happen in today's day. Yeah, and I, I heard a quote about your mom, if we could just say one thing. According to a law enforcement official, she was a very gutsy lady, he said. Uh, and she actually had a quote about your father, quote, even after she had learned that he had a daughter with another woman, she remained faithful to him. She said, I forgave him because my love is greater than all that. I knew he would want to see his daughter. I told him to go see his daughter at any time at their house, at her house. So, true. you know, I, I think um, I'm always I'm always um. I always sadden myself when I think of the families of the people that, that I talk about because they don't ask for this stuff, okay? A lot of the time, especially the, the women, the, the daughters of these people, the wives of these people, um, they obviously know who their husbands are. Um, they do what they can to, to shield their children from it. Um, but I always yes. find your mother to be quite, uh, quite, quite a, a fascinating woman just because she, you know, that's not easy for a woman, right? Especially a woman that had been with a man for so many years to say, I know that you found a reason for whatever to to, to want to go out and be with someone else. Um, but I'm going to put my feelings aside because that's what a mother does. And I'm going to think about my kids yeah. and I'm going to think of that little child that was born that she doesn't have any, she has no, uh, she, she doesn't know who she's born to. She's just born. Right. Um, yeah. And I always find your mom to be very, uh, very fascinating from that standpoint. Um, she seemed like a great woman, really. My mom didn't mince words, and yeah. um, uh, obviously, like I said, she found out about this while he was in prison. And just to give you uh, a bet, even a better idea of the type of woman she was, um, she would still. I, I I was going to see my dad uh, definitely three times a week, sometimes four. Um, and I, I would bring his clothes back and forth, you know, for court and stuff. And my mom always made sure that his shirt was pressed. Uh, she would put matches, tie, handkerchief, uh, shoes were polished, you know, the shoes I would take care of. Um, but, 
uh, my mom um, had turned around at one point and just said to my dad, uh, Billy, we could always talk about this when you come home. Right now, I want you to focus on your case. Right. And um, don't get me wrong. She, my mom was pissed. She was pissed. I was bad. But she was able to, um, for the most part, keep it to herself. Um, I mean, she would vent, you know, to myself, my sisters and stuff. But um, she did not cloud his mind uh, when it came to fighting the trial. Um, That's amazing. And, and then also for, you know, for... Um, my baby sister's mom. Um, she's another one that's a very, very strong woman um, who, again, um, very classy woman as well because um, she was very upset for my dad and for my mom when um, she found out about what happened with the stuff being sent to the house. It sounds um, like so. Yeah, she was a very... Yeah, a very classy lady and and my my baby sister is just uh beautiful um haven't spoken to her in a while but we follow each other on uh social mm -hmm. media and uh, if you look at her jeff um her and my dad it's one face like they look alike right oh my god it's it's like and and mind you uh my other two sisters um I can't say it looked like my dad at all. At all, right. So, it's interesting how... Uh, I don't mean as a slight. I just yeah. mean it in a sense where, you know... Um, yeah. It's interesting how genes work uh, in, in, like, kids. Like, right? some kids look just like their family. Some kid, Like, I don't look anything like my yeah. brother, sister, and my family. I just don't. And that's... Mm -hmm. It's just weird how that works. I, mm -hmm. I want to ask you one thing um, yes. on kind of that subject. While your father's away... What kind of things are you doing? Are you doing anything in the street at this point? Are you taking care of operations? What kind of things are you doing? Because you're really well, one of the only people out there for him, right? Uh, yeah. Um, Jackie was out there. Um, uh, gentleman by the name of Joe Campy was out there. You're talking uh, about Jackie DeRoss, right? That's Jackie, yeah. And then uh, also uh, Joe Campy, um, mm -hmm. he was out there. So between the three of us, we, we held shit together. I mean, um, we look to Jackie, you know, for advice, of course, and, and, and certain rulings and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we all held together. Um, but, you know, my life uh, became very uh, hectic, um, like trying to, uh, like I said, don't go on visits uh, three, four times a week. Um, and then on each visit, I, I believe it might have been two hours or two and a half hours, I believe it was. Um, but, you know, I'd walk into a visit, whether it be with my mother or um, with my sister's mom. Uh, and my dad would sit there and talk to me for like two hours of, of the visit. And brother, I, I, I don't know uh, if you could relate, but to go and sit there a couple of times a week and uh, just have him talking to you. And mind you, we, we would talk with our hands covering our mouths. Yeah. Um, uh, my also, um, my dad would also um, make like little crib notes, um, a little piece of paper. He would write very small. Uh, he would write in code where only I would understand it. Um, he would tuck it 
uh, under his cheek and gum. And then uh, during the visit, if we were eating potato chips and whatnot, um, he would just drop it into the bag. I would grab it, make believe like I'm eating the chip, and then take it and stick it into underneath uh, my uh, gum and lip. And, um, and then I would get to the car. Actually, I would drive away from the prison first. And, and the first chance I got, um, I would pull over because, you know, a two-hour visit and, you know, your dad is, is uh, saying one thing after the other. You don't want to forget. Right. You can't forget, you know, and you can't, you can't fuck up the messages, you know. Sure. Um, so, and then there were times that I would look at some of his crib sheets and be like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I can't make this out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on, a, on a couple of occasions, I got better as, as, uh, the 13 months passed. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was a lot for me. It, it truly was brother, because again, uh, um, I'm a young guy. Um, but I felt very, I I felt very old already in that life. Um, I felt like I was thrown to the wolves and I didn't have a choice but to, to learn and to, and to trust, you know, I had to right. trust Jackie. I had to trust uh, my brother, Joey Cam, um, to know that they knew enough about that life and they would school me. And um, I would go see Jackie sometimes three, four times a week. And, uh, and you know, People think that I have a hatred. Uh, I don't carry hate around with me, Jeff. I mean, the days have passed. You know what I mean? It's over 20 years. Um, will you carry like a little bit of a callus for certain people? Yeah, you will. Um, but for the most part, um, I, I don't wish harm on anyone. I truly don't. Not not at this stage of my life. Um, and then I'm also someone that believes in reform. You know, so if someone made a mistake over 20 years ago, within reason of certain right. things, um, I truly feel that they deserve a shot to come home. Now, who am I to try to stand in the way of that? or to try to hold uh, these things against certain men because, Jeff, look, and for everyone that, that, that listens uh, to things that I say, um, there was a huge part of my life where I was in denial and I was being very hypocritical. And it wasn't until you know, me doing a lot of self-reflection and realizing that, you know, um, my dad had put other sons, other sure. families in the same position that I and my family were in. Right. Um, and it took, it took a long time for me to digest that. Um, but it is what it is. Right. You know, so... Who am I to sit here and to keep being angry um, with people because we lived a certain life that we both know that that's part of the life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to see my father get killed, but 
you know. Well, yeah, and and that's kind of where I want to go with all this. So by '94, eventually your father gets out of jail. He's acquitted of, of of his case. He gets out, goes back to the streets. By this point, the Colombo crime family's past the murky waters. Mush Russo, little alley boy Persco are kind of in control of the family. Eventually, Mush Russo in 96 goes to jail. Little Ali's acting boss. Now, remember, his father's still alive. Carmine Persco still wants to have control of his family, uh, puts the kid in control. And in a show of faith, because, again, your father by this point is one of the highest ranking people in the family. He's very powerful. He's a leader. From good faith, he kind of says, you know what, Uh, Bill, your guy. You're gonna make you're gonna make underboss. You're my second in command at this point. And you know, I think the Perskos, as we know from history, they were not ones that wanted to relinquish power. They never wanted to put the family in the hands of anyone else. And what do we know about Mushrusu even? Mush was the cousin of them. So he it was all a family affair. So he's made underboss. He's very powerful by this point. Um, and I think people start to realize, especially Ali Boy, when he gets arrested and goes away, that you know, you look at people like Jackie DeRoss. All these people are starting to believe that your father is a big threat, right? You know, he's yes. the one that could probably be the one guy to grab leadership away from the Persco group and take it under his own wing. He was a leader, as I said. Did you, by 98, 99, did, did – and I want to also say, your father by this point had become a very religious individual from what I understand. He, you know – from what I, I heard, he went to a parish in Staten Island. Um, he's very respected in that parish. I, one parishioner said that he was one of the gleaming people in in the in the parish. Basically, uh, he was giving to leukemia societies. He was he was a charitable individual. It seems like something had come over him. You know, maybe the the fact that you know he was probably faced death so many times, he wanted to make right on something, or maybe he saw his own demise at some point and wanted to make good on it. Um, did, did you start to realize at some point, though, that that life is treacherous, as you talked about? Did you think at some point that something would happen to him? And did he know that, do you think? Um, once he beat the case, um, we did have a couple of conversations. Um, where... I was asking, um, so let me get this straight. Everything that went on for those two years, you know, all the guys that got hurt and uh, who wound up in jail, whatever. Um, it's all forgotten about. Now, that was very strange to me, you know. Right. So he said, yes, you know, for the betterment of the family, uh, I took a soldier position, not a captain's position, not an underboss position, but a soldier position. Um, and I, I'm doing it for the family, Willie. Um, now, I, I think in my dad's eyes, uh, he probably knew that him just being a soldier was probably not going to be too long, you know, because he was an earner um, and very well liked um, by a lot of people in that family. So... You're talking about his demotion, and then they kind of pick him up and say, you know what, we're going to put you back up. Yes. But, you know, getting back to what you were saying, um, I think my dad, um, I feel that my dad, you know, he kind of alluded this uh, with me. Um, 
when he put uh, a huge statue of the Blessed Mother in his backyard. And uh, he would go out there uh, every morning and, and do his prayers. Um, but, you know, I think that my dad had made somewhat of a, a promise or maybe an agreement, if you will, um, with God saying that um, I'm going to be a better person or a better guy. Um, maybe he didn't want to resort maybe to violence anymore or stuff like that. Um, so I do feel that, that his faith, um, may have had something to do with maybe why he let his guard down. So, so you're saying in a roundabout way, and, and I, I don't, again, mean to be disrespectful. Do you, do you no, feel no. he maybe got a little soft? Um, you know, he, he, he wasn't as, his guard wasn't as up, right? He wasn't yeah. as as sharp let's say he he was he kind of maybe let other people who maybe were were bad people he let them get the best of him maybe a little do you think that's fair yes very and you know let's be real i think we all look back on the writing of the wall and say when he gets the underboss tag um they were doing it out of hey let, let's just try to make him happy um, I think, you know, and I've talked about this before. One, one of the most fascinating things about the mob today, as opposed to this time that we're talking about, is the people that were in the mob back then, the, the people that came up in the 70s and the 80s. You know, and we've heard John Gotti talk about this. There's only one way out in that world. OK, you, you would die for what you you believe in. This, this is what we were about. This is who we are. There's no other way out. OK, you either go to jail or you die pretty simple that there's no other there's no other end and i think your dad in a way like i said kind of realized his own demise would come eventually and he wanted to make peace in any way he could and I, i've actually talked about this in in a, a video i did where I, I related as well to like other religions right so like there are islamic groups right whether it be terrorists or anybody they believe that what they're doing is a noble cause, right? And they believe that when they die, as long as they're faithful to Allah or or God or whoever, that that they'll they'll be they'll be taken care of. And I think maybe your dad said, you know what, I've done a lot of bad things probably. Um, but maybe if I just have a relationship, I can get something back here. And when my time comes to go wherever I go, they'll remember that. You know, and, and I think there's something kind of interesting about that too. It's your father seemed like a really fascinating cat, really. I mean, especially in these times. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I, I learned over the course of, of life, um, especially growing up in that life or being born into that life. Um, first of all, I feel that you can not get married because um, from what I've seen and what I've learned over the course of my life, that this life, or I should say that life, um, the street life, um, it tears families apart from the inside out um, right. in every aspect. So I don't feel that you can be married in that life. I certainly feel that you shouldn't have children if you are serious about that life. Now, 
that's not going to change. The life is never going to die. It's always going to be around. Maybe it's not as big or whatever you want to call it, but it's always going to be around. And I'm sure for the rest of time, as that life still exists, guys are still going to get married. Guys are still going to have children. And uh, it's that it's like a hamster wheel of, of turmoil. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, uh, my dad must have felt extremely lucky um, because no one thought that they had a shot in hell to beat that case. Uh, and I'm one of them. I, I was one of those people um, because I, I know how the FBI works. Yeah, they don't uh, lose much. Nope, they don't lose. They don't like to lose. Um, and, uh, and in my particular case, um, things didn't always work out so smooth with them because of exactly a couple of things of what we just said. Um, you know, especially when they're gunning for you. Um, and if, if they want you, they're going to do whatever they need to and whatever they can to get you. Well, they have, um, they have all the resources, right? I mean, it's hard to fight a war against someone that never runs out of ammunition, guns, whatever. So I want to, I want to, before we get into what would ultimately happen with you and, and, and everything, I want to talk about the day that your father was killed. Um, and I, and I, a lot of this has to, and it, it does straightforwardly come from the individual that pulled the trigger that day who we've talked about on this channel. We've talked about on this show, uh, this individual, uh, Dino Calabro, who look, um, if, if we're talking about lunatics over the last 20 years in the American mafia, we could put him up very high. He was a depraved human being, killed a lot of people. He was a hitter. It's that simple, young hitter. Um, he would state that according to him, Tommy Schatz, Jueli, told him what to do, um, that they were supposed to off your father. And that came directly from Ali Schatz and DeRoss. Now, DeRoss was close to your dad, as you alluded to. Um, now, I want to talk about the fact that the federal government was tailing your father th that day. Um, yes. According to the last person that saw him, they saw him in the area of 92nd and Shore Road in Brooklyn. Yes. He's picked up. He's taken to a home in the area of 1976th Street in Bensonhurst, which tree line street, very residential. But that yeah. was the uh, place that uh, Dino Calabro's cousin, little Dino Saracino, lived. And they would off people at that home. And from what Calabro talks about, your father walks up, they ask where Alley Boy is, they lead him down, and that's where it's done. Okay. We're not going to get into the particulars, there's no reason to. Uh, he was killed that day. Now, for a long period of time, you thought your father was, you know, dumped. No one knew where he was. Eventually, through other cases, people start getting picked up. Most notably, the Ross, Little Alibu was already picked up. Tommy Schatz got picked up in the 2000s, as well as Dino Calabro. Now, Calabro decides, out of all three of these individuals, he wants to speak. Because remember, Calabro had been involved with killing a cop. Uh, let's just be honest Dulles. with ourselves here. Yeah. yeah, Ralph Doles, which we've talked about on this channel as well. Calabro had a lot weighing on him. He'd killed a lot of people. He was a chief killer for a long time. He starts talking about um, your dad. Um, now, I want to talk about the day after the disappearance. and Your dad uh, disappears. Um, Jackie DeRoss would come to the home of your mother. 
Um, he would claim that he was looking for the books for the family. Uh, your dad was the one that handled that sort of thing. And he was looking for money. Your mother would also say that he, quote, showed no remorse and or concern for your father, which she found to be pretty odd. She would also state that that day uh, that he went missing, Bill called her and mentioned that he had a meeting with, quote, the kid, who we would refer to as Little Alley Boy Persco, which makes sense. Um, and we mentioned that the witness saw him. Um, do you, what do you know about that day? How, obviously, what did you know? What What did you hear about the DeRoss meeting at your, your home? Um, well, first of all, Jackie did come by the house um, on a few occasions. Um, his condolences, his condolences, uh, forgive me, uh, sounded hollow. Um, for me, I was. So you heard them directly. Yeah. What did he yeah. say? Do you know? You uh, remember? Uh, just things along the lines like, um, you know, something must have came up. Um, you know, he must have got a tip. Maybe he, you know, he took off. You know, we'll be hearing from him soon. I'm sure. He would say all things along those lines. Um, my mother was not afraid. Uh, like I said to you earlier, she never minced words. Um, and uh, she had uh, at one point turned around and said, um, you know, Jackie, what do you think I'm stupid? I know you got my husband's, my husband's position. You know, I know how it works. Right. And, uh, but my mother did uh, testify to the fact that she did speak to my dad that day um, which that very evening I was trying to, uh, get a timeline from her. Um, like when was the last time he spoke to daddy? I said, because, um, uh, I said I was paging him. I was, you know, trying not to scare her. So, um, I just said I was paging him a few times. He never showed up to the club. So I'm thinking maybe he just got tied up or, you know, uh, maybe he got a tip that he was going to get pinched and, you know, landed for the day just to see what was going down. And uh, she could not recall the time. Now, this is back in 1999. Um, my mother's testimony, I believe, was 2008, maybe. I yeah. think that was the last time. Um, but one thing I can say, um, my dad never spoke on the phone. Now, I don't mean like, hey, hon, what do you need from the store? I, I love you. I miss you. I, I don't mean stuff like that. But when it came to Family anything man. organized crime, um, my dad would never say something like that over the phone that uh, I'm going to meet the kid. Now, I don't know if maybe my mother, all those years later, maybe she, I don't know, misunderstood something or whatever the case may be. But I do know that my dad would never say something like that over the phone. Well, let me now, ask you, I, let me ask you okay. one other thing here. She would also say that at one point, quote, some of it was above my stove and some of it was in the attic. And she's talking about up to what she says, a million and a half dollars. She'd also yeah. say that she took records and burned them in a metal garbage pail in her backyard. And she would also state that, 
quote, my husband told me that if anything ever happened to him, you give nothing up. So well, that was said to me, you right. know, uh, whether my dad said it to her or not, I'm not going to call her a liar. At, uh, sure. Not my mom. Yeah, um, but I do know that that was said to me. But um, if it was said to her, um, my mom was turning the money over. It wasn't until I stopped her. Jackie had come by the house. Uh, it was one night. It was pretty late. And um, my mother had, my mother didn't know that this money was under the stove just yet. It was, uh, it was over the stove in a vent. And um, that's where most of the cash was, um, among other places. And then what was up in the attic was, um, like money that he would put aside for, let's say, guys that were in jail, um, sending money over to the families. Um, right. He would keep his uh, his union pay. Um, it was just like a little lockbox. Right. That's all it was. A little lockbox. Money box. for a rainy day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, but not a lot of money in there, brother, at all. So um, my mother goes upstairs. And uh, she asked me to come with her. We go and we go up into the attic. And uh, this box was kept in like a, a sewing machine bag. And my mother, we're up there with a flashlight. And my mother is taking all the envelopes out of the box and she's throwing it, you know, into a bag. And I'm like, wait, what are you doing? She's like, well, he wants the money. So, you know, let's, you know, put it together. We'll give it to him. I'm like, no. I'm like, daddy's rule was, if verbatim, if anything ever happened to him, fuck them and give them nothing. Absolutely. So as, as my mother's throwing all, you know, the money into the bag, I'm going into the bag and taking it out. And she keeps grabbing the same thing and she keeps throwing them back in the bag again. I'm like, mom, stop. I'm like, throw in a couple little envelopes. I said, and that's where we'll go from there. Um, so I just turned around and said, um, I'll handle it. Don't worry. I says, I'll go downstairs. So next thing we go downstairs, I'm carrying this, uh, sewing machine bag. And, uh, Jackie's like, all right, buff. He's called me buff. He's like, um, you hop in your car. He's like, you follow me. And, you know, when we get to my house, you know, uh, I'll take the bag off you. Now. I was trying to come up with a reason not to go. I was just like, no, just take the, you know, the fucking bag. What were you, you worried they were going to kill you? Uh, yeah, well, uh, worried, not worried, but the thought of me getting clipped. Yeah, because the first thing I'm thinking is this. They get their hands on the records, which is protocol. Just so you know, Jeff, a lot of people, you know, I've heard comments over the last couple of weeks where people would say things along the lines like, um, uh, you know, if that guy came by my house and he was knocking on walls and floors and asking, listen, it's protocol in that life that if someone goes to jail for life or they wound up dying or they get killed, you know, that stuff is supposed to be kick back over to the family, especially the records. And I, I felt that 
it was it was twofold, uh, actually threefold. My mother was afraid of me holding on to the records because she felt that as soon as I turned over the records, she felt that they were going to kill me. Because, you know, in that life, once you kill the father, and Jackie had said this to me, um, you know, the day I, I went to go kill him uh, on Bay Street, yeah. Um, he's like, Buff, what are you going to do? Shoot me right here in broad daylight? Um, he's like, look, I saved you. This is verbatim. I saved you. You know, Buff, back in the day, when the father goes, the son goes. And I'm like, and that's when I had turned around and said, you, know. you made two mistakes then. You killed my father, but you didn't kill me. Right. And that's and a quote. That's a quote I was going to ask you about. And this is a guy, I think it's important to say, like, this was a guy that was very close to your dad. I mean, he was, your dad was the best man at his wedding. I mean, he was, a uh, Jackie DeRossi, your dad were very close. And that's the deceit and the treachery that there are no real friends in that world, right? You know, when, no. when the, when this, when the, the guy up top, whether it be Lil Alley Boy or whether it be Carmine, when they say, hey, look, he needs to go, he needs to go. You know, and, and and it doesn't matter if you've been lifelong friends. That that's that's the truth. And and I want to mention your quote. Um, you actually would say at one point, put me in an alley with both of them and I'll send them out in bags. They're nothing but cowards. You would say that about Catolo and little alley boy. I, I kind of want to put a bow on them just quickly. I mean, uh, Jackie, uh, we got some Jackie and Alley. Yeah. 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 And I just want to put a bow on those guys quickly. They would get pretty short sentences in 2001. But ultimately, Persco and Jackie DeRoss would both be indicted for the hit on your father. His body would be found in 2008 after the testimony of, obviously, Calabro. In 2007, both Jackie DeRoss and Persco would be convicted and both got life in prison. Jackie DeRoss is 85 years old. He is still alive. And I do know certain people that were inside with him. They said he is still ornery than ever. And he is at Springfield Federal Medical Center. Alibi Persco is 68 years old. And is still alive as well. And he is at McKean in Pennsylvania. They will ne neither get out ever. Um, I, I guess I'll ask you, Bill. Um, you, you've you made comments. Um, you were on a show on MTV called Families of the Mafia. Um, your family and you. And you you, you talked about at one point that you had considered uh, writing a letter uh, to the, the case of, of DeRoss. I, I, I'll ask, um, Why? What, what, what on earth would you have to, to do anything as far as nice to him? You ultimately would decide, Bill, that after your father was killed, you, you did decide to speak to the government. Um, you basically believed that you wanted to get back at these individuals for doing what they did. That was your dad. Um, I think in one way it is honorable to to whether it's you're not going to kill these people. Um, obviously now you could have, you could have went in and jabbed him in the head and killed them both. And I don't think anyone would blame you for it. Um, but you know that you had kids, you had a wife, uh, and you decided to, to go another way with it. Did you ever consider just, and, and I, I'd like you to be honest, if you're willing, did you ever consider saying, you know what, I'm not going to cooperate. I'm going to just kill these motherfuckers because that's what they deserve. Yes. That was, um, that very night my wheels were spinning. Um, the strange part about that night that uh, my dad disappeared um, was that 
everybody was acting uh, as if, kind of like as if like my dad never existed. It right. Very strange. They move on so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that night my wheels were spinning. Um, I felt that this would have to come out of our own, our own backyard. Um, I, I, I did know that my dad was very well liked by the other families um, for the most part. Um, and I know that no one would have had him make a move like that against my dad uh, unless, it, unless it came out of our own backyard. Um, so yes, uh, the next couple of days, um, yeah, I went after Jackie. Um, but at the last moment when I realized, um, you know, my dad used to have a saying, uh, he said to me, uh, on more than one occasion, um, verbatim, um, really, uh, any monkey can pull a trigger, you know, but it takes that much more of a man to reach his hand out and help a man up. And, um, in that moment, um, when I, uh, went to go kill Jackie, um, I kind of looked at him and uh, he kind of looked helpless. Wait, so so you're, hold on a second. So you're saying you, you very much were going to to do that. You you believed you could kill him. You believed it. You were, you were willing to do it. He was dead, bro. He was dead. Like he was, he had nothing on him. He was naked. So you, you could have got him right there. I was geared up. Yeah. I had him, you know, I literally had him. Um, but when I realized how easy it was. You thought it was too easy. He deserves more. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about deserves more at that moment, but I, I did realize how easy it was. And then the other part was this. I knew that I couldn't bring my father back. And right. uh, I felt like the Colombo family already took what they wanted from my family already. Mm-hmm. And I had a realization in the moment that um, if I do this now, knowing that I can't bring my father back, what am I do- What does that say about me in regards uh, yeah. to my wife and child at Absolutely. that moment? You right. know, I couldn't let them have another member of our family. You know, and that's that's how I felt in that, you know, in those moments. And, and that's why, like, I don't, you know, there, we, we see nowadays on YouTube, there are a lot of people that come on here that were informants. Um, a lot of them are, are um, they have no remorse. They did what they did. There's really no reason. They, they have excuses. You're the one very insular case that I find interesting because I look at my own life. Again, I told you this before we got on the air. If I were you. And my father was killed in that way. And there was absolutely no concern. They just moved on like nothing else happened. You know, my father was who he was. He was this, this guy that, that was everyone liked, as you alluded to. He wasn't out there making waste. He was doing stuff. He was someone that, albeit, was a gangster. But he was a, a guy that did what he had to do. He never hurt nobody as far as in the family. Um, I, I would probably say, you know, if I were in your position, I would have done the same thing as far as. That's why when people talk negatively about you, I'm, I'm always kind of can I don't get it because I think we have to put ourselves in that position this wasn't some like friend of yours this was your father okay this was <laughs> this was the guy who had made you you know and it's it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me 
Um, but, um, and I get what you're saying there where you have kids, you have, if you didn't have kids and a wife, you probably would have taken the other way. Wouldn't you have? Yes. Absolutely. You had that much animosity. And, and I don't think any of us blame you. I guess the question I have is you've come a long way since then. Um, you know, that was a long time ago. That was the late nineties. You think about how much the world has changed. Um, we think about the people that were directly involved with this case, uh, like the Ross think of all that time that's passed. And he has sat in a jail cell. He's gotten old in a jail cell. Um, as I said, you had considered, I guess, not uh, burying the hatchet, but uh, writing a letter. Why? What, what, you know, what What made, what would want you to, why would you want to have him feel any sort of, was you just thinking of his family? Why would you want um, him to feel any happiness? Well, people might find this a little strange. Um, I will admit I, mean, I do, honestly. Uh, maybe hard to understand. Um, there's more of a backdrop to what went down in regards to the Wild Bill. Um, I want to say this and, and try to be as as uh, as kind as I possibly could be here. Um, with Jackie... I was hurt, like I was hurt because I knew Jackie from childhood, you know, and I grew up loving the man. So in regards to him early on, um, I didn't feel bad for him. Um, Now, Jackie is considerably older than Allie now. 17 years old. Yes, and I do know how that life works, and I do know what gaslighting is. And I will delve deeper into this, um, forgive me, Jeff, here, on the 11th Avenue podcast eventually. Yeah, and I want um, I want people, before you do, I, I want people to go check that out. I, I'm, um, the, a lot of the creators in this space, I, I don't follow. I think a lot of the stories are just we've heard before. Um, but as I said, yours is very interesting. And I want people to go check out. I'm going to put the dis- link in the description to the show. Go subscribe. Go check it out. As you can see, and I'll say this, Bill, we, we've been on for about an hour and a half. This is probably one of the more enlightening pieces of content I've ever done. I find it to be very interesting. Um, you're really offering something that I don't, we just don't really hear much. Um, you know, and I know, like I said, I feel like you've definitely changed a lot as far as the kind of guy that you are and you just kind of entertaining. And it almost makes me think, I remember locally where I live now, Bill, um, about 10 years ago, a individual walked into an Amish schoolhouse and killed little children. I don't know. Maybe you heard about it. And I remember the week after this happened, the Amish people in my community that live not far from me forgave this person. Right. And, and I, I think back and I thought, how could you forgive that dude? He walked in and killed your daughter, little children. And I'm not relating that to you in any way, but I I always found people that are so willing to forgive. And it seems like you truly have come a long way as far as the kind of guy that you are. The fact that you do seem to be at peace with your decision. You did in a way get back at the people, but you now often look at them as just like figures of they were just part of a life that you know, is kind of nonsense in the end. And do you just want to see them see some happiness? Is that kind of what you're Um, getting at? 
Yeah, I, uh, Jackie, like you said, is about 85 years old now. Um, I would, it would make me, me, um, feel a little better if the man was able to go home and see his grandchildren and, and, uh, see his wife and, and, and children. Um, and then in Allie's case, Allie is a lot younger. Um, I feel that he's been in there for over 20 years now, or just about 20 years. Um, and, you know, when it comes to making a difference between Jackie and Allie, um, Allie Boy was never um, around my dad from the time that Jackie was. Right, just didn't mean as much, I guess. Yeah. So if you ask me, in my personal opinion, if this was solely Allie's decision, I don't, I, I, I don't buy that. I don't buy it. Unless, unless you have people saying to you, the wild man's are going to take over the family. You know, you got to act. You got to act. And I'm here to tell you, Jeff, my dad was not looking to take over the family because we had conversations about that. Right. I don't believe it either. Yeah. He didn't need the money and he didn't want that bullseye on his back. Well, let me ask you something. And mm -hmm. I, I, this is, again, just a theory. Okay. I, I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not making any statements because this individual, Tommy Schatz was cleared of this murder. He, the government felt that he had nothing to do with it, even though the actual killer, uh, Dino Calabro, stated that he did. Dino Calabro, by the way, is on the street. He did 11 years and is a free man. The, the, the individual that actually pulled the trigger is on the street. Now, I have a, a theory on, on Tommy Schatz, who, if you know anything about Tommy Schatz, Jueli, he has come up. At, he was a, a Persco guy his whole life. He had been very close with Mus Russo. He was a staunch Persco guy, right? The writing was on the wall. Little Alley Boy was going to go to jail, right? Uh, Jackie DeRoss, I mean, I've always thought that him and Joelli had something to do with this. They were the ones that – because I think Joelli would have been the, the the guy if if these two aren't around, uh, either him or DeRoss. And I think they were in unison in belief that, you know, they believed your dad was going to take over. I think Tommy Schatz has more to do with it than let on. Now, again, just a theory. Um, what do you think about him? Do, do you – do you were you blown away that he was – free to that thing well that's what's what brings me back to your earlier question um why would you want to write a letter yeah to help a man come home from prison because the guy who actually i'm going to split hairs here um but my concern even 20 years ago, my main concern was I wanted the guy whose finger was on the trigger. To pay. That's who I wanted. And So does it sicken you that he's on the street? Uh, I'm not going to give anyone that satisfaction by answering that by saying yes. But... It ha it would probably yeah. bother me. I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it does. And then, uh, and then Gioli comes home in 24. So, yeah, he's and he's tried to get out multiple times. Um, 
but yeah, listen, Bill, obviously, you know, I feel like we could sit here and talk for hours. I, I Like I said, this is one of the more enlightening interviews I've had. And I want to kind of end it with, with giving you some opportunity really to just kind of surmise, you know, where you are now. You obviously, you know, you live you live somewhere in America. You have a, a different life now. You have, you have children. They're, they're grown. Um, you, have a, you have a wife that you've been with forever. Uh, you, you have a new life now. Um, I guess I'll ask you, uh, do you miss that old life? Do, do you? You know, obviously the, the the days of the social clubs and the, the your father and kind of the you know the fact that he wasn't the easiest dad when you were a kid, but he in a way taught you and gave you certain things that he probably knew he didn't have himself that he wanted to maybe give to you and maybe you do something different with your life. Um, just just kind of surmise where you are now and and what you're up to and just the kind of state. I, f- I think it's clear you're obviously in a different state of mind now. Uh, yes, for sure. Um, first off, um, I'm out in Arizona. Uh, I've been out here since... Uh, I didn't want to say if you didn't want me to. Uh, no, nah, it's okay. Everybody knows I'm out here now. Um, but I've been out here since 06. Um, you know, my life has been a work in progress since 99. Um, I've learned many things about myself. Uh, through reflection, through therapy. Um, but my life today is, uh, it's all about my family. Um, I'm with my wife, uh, we're together um, 32 years, married 27. Uh, I'm, I'm only 52. So my wife has been around well, with me since she saw me get involved with my dad. So she's been around for all of the good times and obviously the bad times. Um, my children, um, three beautiful kids um, that, Jeff, all I care about is being um, in the moment uh, with them. Um, I talk with them every day, uh, all day long. And the rapport that I have with my children um, and in part because of the way I was raised, um, I've never picked my hands up to my children. Um, I can't even say whether they were ever punished. Um, they're good kids. Um, so, but, but going forward, um, I just want to continue to, um, just be a good person, you know, like without judging people, you know, like, look, we all got a past, right? Yeah. We've all done things in our past, Jeff, that I don't think we'd be human if we said we, we've never done anything wrong. I mean, that would be nonsense. So, you know, you live, you learn, and, you, you know, you try to make tomorrow better than it is today. And, um, you know, that's something that it, it's always going to be um, a work in progress for me, you know. Um, and this is why it's taken me such a long time to even do um, some of these interviews. Um, a, because it was, it was hard for me in the beginning. Um, but now I just want to be able to share um, some of the good times. And obviously, uh, some of the bad times with people, um, 
people have a ton of questions to ask um, in regards to Wild Bill. And um, I, I think I just got to a point where um, I'm, I'm doing my dad a disservice if I, if I don't speak um, about him. I, I truly feel that he's probably saying, Willie, you know, it's okay, man. You, you, can, you can talk about some stuff, you know. Um, but one thing, Jeff, uh, with with the podcast, with with uh, Jeremy and I on the Eleventh Avenue podcast, um, you know, one thing um, I really try to refrain from doing, um, and that's speaking ill about guys. Um, yeah, I try to explain to people that when when I talk about certain things, I am telling you stuff from how I was seeing things through my eyes. 20 years ago or over 20 years ago. Um, so when you hear me say that, you know, um, I, I, I loved Chicky. Um, I, I still have a love for Chicky. Um, right. same thing with, uh, the campies. Um, 99.9% of those guys. Now for the rest of the world that read about these, these people, you know, people say, "What? What? Is, what is he out of his mind? Like, how, right. how could he like these people?" But I, I grew up knowing them in a different way. You know, sure. so they were big brothers to me. And like I said to you earlier, um, so uh, on the show, I, I refrain from talking bad about anybody unless it really, really warrants it. And you can't, and right. you can't really, you know, pick and choose. Um, but you know, for the most part. Um, we're having fun with it. Um, we're putting out, um, you know, content. Uh, and I just, I want to start, you know, going into a format where um, people can send in questions. We haven't done any lives yet, Jeff, so that's coming. Um, but where I can interact with, you know, the viewers and, um, you know, tackle some of their questions and, um, you know, and just go from there. It's, uh, look, whether we're, we're all, you know, trying to accomplish something here uh, on YouTube uh, or on social media, um, I think we all are. Um, I'm not looking to be a millionaire or, you know, for a lot of people, uh, it's their, their main revenue stream. Right. Um, but, but for me, uh, right now, it's just something that it's more cathartic for me, Jeff, you know, to finally be able to talk about some of this stuff. And, um, you know, and for the people that want to take shots at me, um, you know, from whether I smile too much or maybe maybe my, my, my shirt's an off color or... Uh, Listen, Bill, you know. I think you're just a happy guy, man. And I don't think anybody, for a life that you've had, it's very a very interesting one. It's a sad one. Um, I think you're owed a lot of that now. And look, like I told you, I wouldn't let it bother you. And I don't think it does. I think you just do what you do. You, you hang with your family. I was blown away with how your kids know nothing about the mob, which is you know, yeah. fascinating to me. You know, they don't ask. And I think they they, they respect that. You know, I, you know, I also I've noticed your show like you only have you've only just started it. You're already getting people that are interested in it. You do a lot of other things, too. You talk about baseball. You talk about sports. You talk about different things. You mix in stories, which is cool. Um, and as I said, I'm going to drop the, the channel link. Please go subscribe, check it out. Um, Bill, 
I'm going to probably, you know, hopefully in the future, maybe I'll get out to Arizona. Maybe we can do this again and, and talk a little bit oh, more. I'd love for you. Um, I, I, I do also want to say with, 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 with kind of dates and stuff here, at the time of your father's death, he was only 49 years old, which I, I'm, um, I, I kind of looked at it twice and I said, that doesn't make sense. And I said, you know what? I guess he wasn't very old, um, but good. And I'm glad you were able to find a new way in life. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of us, if, if any of us have a, a brain, I don't think anyone would actually be mad at you for it. So I'm glad you're uh, moved on in your life. But like I said, I think it's one of the more enlightening interviews I've ever done. Um, and go check out the 11th Ab podcast on YouTube. Uh, go subscribe. Go check it out. You're already doing pretty well with it. Uh, thanks for coming on, Bill. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Jeff. It, it was my pleasure. And I, I wish we could have done it sooner. But you know what? You know, better late than never, brother. Well, that's exactly right. And I want to also say, you know, I hope you and your family have a good holiday. Um, and I thank everybody for listening. You know, this is a little bit longer than our normal shows, but I felt, again, I mean, the information is is important and it's uh, very detailed. And I'm I'm glad, Bill, you're able to come on. So uh, good luck with everything. I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. Um, yes. By the way, you ever go to New York? You ever come to New York? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe one day we'll get you to come up to the Barstow office. We'll meet each other then, and, and you can come up and, and we can hang out. Um, but uh, that being said, guys, thank you as always for watching. Bill, we'll let you go. I, I've had you on for too long. Thanks for coming yeah. on. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, everybody. I love you all. Jeff, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Okay, Bill. Thank thanks for coming on, brother. Take it easy. All right, um, all right guys. That's the show. Um, you know, very detailed, right? I mean, it's important that we get all that info out there. You know, Bill has a wild life, a fascinating life. And his father truly was one of the most important people really from the seventies on in the Colombo crime family, a treacherous, crazy life. Um, and I'm happy to say it, that Bill's doing better now and, uh, has moved on in his life. Um, so I appreciate him coming on. I thought that was great. Uh, and, uh, that's just what we do here on the sit down. So uh, we will be back next week with another great episode. I think our friend Barstool Chief will be on again. Um, we'll do another great biography. Um, but I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, make sure if you're new around here, uh, you're checking us out on iTunes, on Spotify. Make, you, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, follow us on Twitter at Sit Down Crime Pod. And make sure we have some merch now available in the Barstool store. Please go support the show. Buy some merch. Get yourself a long sleeve shirt for the fall weather. Um, I appreciate it all. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week here on The Sit Down.